Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leaders Sport Business Podcast, the podcast about leaders in sport from Leaders in Sport. My name is James Emmett, I'm the Editorial Director here at Leaders and with me as ever is my great good colleague David Krishnan. David, how are you? I'm very well James, uh, nice to see you again. Loud and... in the mix for me David, are you projecting today? Yes. Okay. Talking to an, to an audience, an ever-growing audience actually by the uh, the numbers on this podcast. All the, all the metrics are good aren't they? They're trending uh, rightwards and north, uh, which I think is good. Northeast. Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. How are you, David? What's going on? Uh, yes, very well. Thank you. Uh, we are um, continuing to uh, look ahead to the big events of the year. Delighted to say we've got a few speakers confirmed now for Force, our big sports entertainment extravaganza coming your way, yeah. if your way is New York City, on the 21st and 22nd of May. Um, not going to share them just yet. I think we're doing a little bit of a a uh, you know a big reveal uh, in the not too distant future, but um, fair to say, and I think you can pick this up, James, from what I'm wearing today, that I've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of good work in the sport meets fashion space. I can pick that up from what you're wearing. You're wearing particularly sort of obtuse, fashionable. Ah, fa- you're you're wearing fashionable clothes today. Yeah. yeah. No, David, you look great as ever. Thanks. Uh, obtuse wearing- would be quite a good name for a fashion brand, wouldn't it? Obtuse. Yeah. Um... Yeah, not bad, not bad. Probably you, one to workshop. On the sports fashion thing, did you see any of the uh, clips of the arrivals to the player oh, arrivals at the Super Bowl? Yeah, um, so I follow a guy on Instagram um, who is, um, he does uh, fashion content, not sports content. And he did a special video of all the fits for the players for the arrival at the Super Bowl. And I mean, fair to say some hits and some misses, I would say. Well, I'm in absolutely no position to comment, but I do think it is something that we're seeing across a number of sports now. I think the NBA clearly has been, the relationship between the NBA and fashion mm. has been stronger than in, in other sports for, for longer. Yeah. But there was definitely a time in the not too distant past where players would arrive for a Super Bowl dressed in team uniforms. Yeah, that's true, and now the now it's a you know it's a fashion show. Um, the FA Cup final, David. I might, might I point you back to that? Cali Sowland on the podcast last week, of course, likened the FA Cup final to the Super Bowl. Slightly wider the mark, I'd say there. Um, however, there was a big thing made about the suits on FA Cup final day. You remember Liverpool's uh, Ecru numbers in yeah. 1995? Ecru, yeah. Ecru. I believe that's what the colour was. Yeah. yeah, white. I think. Yeah. Um, th- it's uh, still suits though still fundamentally suits and I think um, there was an interesting sort of yeah well, I did read an interesting quote recently from uh, Pierre Gasly the Formula One driver uh, who was saying that he has really been empowered by Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. arriving to the circuit in frankly whatever he wants to wear mm-hmm to you know he's, he feels like he's been given some sort of freedom or license to express himself through what he's wearing as well and again in the not too dis, in the not too distant past you would have seen formula one teams absolutely mandate that as soon as drivers walk into the circuit they were in full team gear mm. full sponsor gear and it doesn't happen now and it definitely opens up this uh, world of uh, sport and fashion and, and all these relationships and collaborations that we're seeing across the board actually on that note um adidas are obviously um rightly lauded for their 
um, work in the collaboration space, I would say, these sort of... The collab space. Yeah, these little capsules that get created and released, um, sometimes in partnership with their sports partners. Um, they do great work with Arsenal, for example, and with Manchester United. And I've just, just recently, they... Um, they released a small collection for and with Manchester United, so Adidas with for and with Manchester United, um, which uh, featured the Stone Roses. And uh, to my mind, this is the first time where there's a sort of sports, fashion, music crossover. And it's absolutely in this sort of space that we're programming for for our event in New York in May. Um, but what amazing marketing that is so it's sort of um obviously the power of of adidas and manchester united huge global fan base big captive audience that wants to spend money on stuff um adidas tapping into um sort of nostalgia time and place with stone roses and the kind of um you know affinity that a lot of stone roses and manchester band a lot of manchester united fans of a certain era and a certain spending power uh would look back on uh, with with fondness at the other end of the scale in football what does this mean james i think it's a question we have to ask what does this mean for the official formal wear partnerships mm. because in the past they were absolutely front and center every time teams would troop off the bus yeah. into uh you know into stadiums you would see everybody kitted out you know the famous sort of club crest on the yeah. uh on the blazer are they only going to be uh utilized in the end of season formal club photo i don't know i think there's worth in it i still think there's some value in it it was always burton's wasn't it burton's always used to Do you know what marks and spencers have done some hugo boss have done some um pierre Gallois. i'm actually is i'm it? actually wearing an mns uh what are you wearing item, right now item. yeah <laughs> blue harbor is it yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah they still yeah. do that. Good brand, good yeah. range. Um, very good. I'm wearing um, St. James Oh, today. sorry. Yeah. I, sorry, I didn't ask, did I? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who are you wearing? Yeah. Um, uh, socks model zone, mm. I would say. Um, we've had some more submissions to this. Uh, it's a long-running thread now. Um, sports, industry, proving grounds, slash universities. Um, it's got the people talking. Both, it's got the industry um, a gog a gog at chattering um so where had we got to this time last week we were talking about uh img we were talking about ProServe. we were talking about um deloitte it all started with hill and knowlton of course as it often does um <laughs> some interesting submissions right here's one for you go on and this i think is an amazing kind of again place and time thing mm -hmm. so the submission is um and this one, I don't think you'll mind me saying, it's from Nick Coward, uh, industry doyen Nick Coward, um, who says, what about the FA around the turn of the century? Um, and so obviously he points to so Nick Coward. This century. What do you know? Nick Coward was there. Um, he points to Jimmy Worrell, our chairman and leader's founder, who was also there. Um, Adam Crozier. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Barber, Paul Mullen, Paul Nolan. A trio of Pauls. The three Ps. <laughs> the three, yeah. three Ps who've gone on to, uh, to bigger and better things. John T. Hill, Phil Carling, Dan Markham, Adrian Bevington, Petter Bistany, Mark Osakoya, Phil Smith, Reese Beer, Paul Newman, uh, Jerry Newman even, um, Mark Armstrong, Kim Fisher, Tom Halsey, Dom Hayes. Uh, and then more, 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 more names. Absolutely that incredible. A, that is a great entry. I missed the uh, Paul Newman era at the FA. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been steely, interesting. Steely blue eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, we had one for Proskauer as well. Yes. Uh, on the kind of American side. The proving of ground of commissioners. Adam Silver and his dad, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Was, was it both of them? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Who else? Um, I can't remember. haven't got the list in front of me. <laughs> uh, anyway, keep them coming. I do think... Um, I think it's interesting. And, and, you know, we talked last week about the the companies of the future as well. I mean, be interested to hear people's thoughts on that as well. I think we both cited two circles as perhaps uh, a contender to be that proving ground. But yeah. I have seen it mentioned. In fact, um, the uh, one of the emails that we received on this talking about Proskauer was from another legal firm that were ta- was talking about actually baking that kind of idea, being the future proving ground or the future talent f- f- factory, or being known for that as a sort of one of the company's mission statements mm. almost. And I've seen a couple of um, agencies outside of sport um, talk in those terms as well. The GOAT agency, which is a big influencer agency mm. now under the WPP, Banner um, has openly talked about wanting all the future executives in the world of influencer marketing in the future to have, you know, come from the the GOAT agency. So it's it's definitely an interesting way of thinking as you're sort of building your building your identity and building your legacy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we both threw out the sports pro proving ground. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Along with um, Adam Fraser. Yes, remember him? Yeah, I do actually. Oh yeah, no, so do I. Um, Shall we turn to the news? Yes, it's news time. So James, why don't you turn this way, I'll turn that way, and together we've got the full 360 covered. This is 180 seconds of Sports Biz. 123.4 million. That was the audience in the US for Sunday's Super Bowl, the highest viewership in the history of US television. 112 million of those were watching on CBS, a record for any network, according to Nielsen's data. The rest watched the game across Paramount+, Plus, Nickelodeon's kids broadcast, Univision, CBS Sports and NFL Plus. The talk of the town in Las Vegas in the build-up to Sunday was of course Taylor Swift but also the surprise news that Disney, Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery are teaming up to create a new streaming service. It's slated to launch later this year, will have its own name and its own leadership but in what is a shift back towards a bundled offering it will house all the rights currently held by ESPN, Fox Sports and TNT including large chunks of the NBA and MLB. Super Bowl week also saw the NFL confirm its latest international adventure. It's teaming up with Real Madrid to bring a regular season game to the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium in 2025. The sports consultancy once again supported the NFL on the deal. No teams have been confirmed, but the Miami Dolphins are considered favourites as the only AFC team currently holding territory marketing rights in Spain. Meanwhile, two classics of the F1 calendar have signed new deals. Silverstone has a fresh 10-year contract to stage the British Grand Prix, while Suzuka will host Japan's race until at least 2029. And Beijing has been awarded the 2029 World Aquatics Championships, the latest sign that international sport is looking again at China as a major host market. Emirates has signed a multi-year deal to become the NBA's global airline partner. The airline is becoming the first title partner of the league's in-season tournament, the NBA Cup. Emirates currently flies to 12 US cities. 
Disney has agreed a deal to invest $1.5 billion for an equity stake in Fortnite creator Epic Games as part of a wider agreement to collaborate on, quote, an all-new games and entertainment universe. As FIFA president Gianni Infantino jetted from Doha, where Qatar won the Asian Cup, to Abidjan, where hosts the Ivory Coast lifted the African Nations Cup, UEFA president Alexander Cheferin has indicated he will not stand for re-election at the end of his current term in 2027. Cheferin is in his third term as president, having taken on the role when Michel Platini was forced to step down in 2016, and the news comes despite UEFA having recently voted to amend its constitution to allow Chefrin to serve a fourth term. Officials in China have cancelled two Argentina international football friendlies amid a furious reaction after Lionel Messi didn't play for Inter Miami in an exhibition match against the Hong Kong 11. Messi was injured, prompting an angry reaction from fans and match promoters Tatler Asia offering a 50% refund. However, the Hangzhou and Beijing football associations have now called off the World Cup winners' March games against Nigeria and Ivory Coast. And that, David, was 180 seconds of sports biz. Lots going on uh, over the past few days and plenty to get our teeth into, I think. Yes, plenty there. Um, it's worth noting that we were, we were going to have a guest with us today um, on our new weekly format, We Wait for No Man or Woman, and unfortunately Dee Kundra from uh, Bayern Munich could not be with us today. So we press on ahead. would have been good to have Dee, who's based in uh, the US, talking about um, this Argentina tour. Um, should we imagine what she would have said? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite the kerfuffle, isn't it? Um, um, and actually, I'm really pleased because you're heading out to China soon, aren't you? And uh, probably actually, get to the bottom of this. Oh, my gosh. Can I just say this China event that we're doing, that we're helping on, I've said before that it's absolutely stacked, this lineup, but uh, just had Yao Ming 100% confirmed. Uh, so we've got Yao Ming, Joe Tsai, um, Li Ning, Dwayne Wade, and Sophie Vumar, uh, Penn Norbert, the CMO of the Bundesliga. We've got Chelsea there. We've got Juventus there. Uh, and we've got sponsor brands galore. It's extraordinary, this event. Also, Joe Tsai hosting a celebrity basketball game in the middle of it. Fantastic. Well, let's hope uh, all of those star you, players turn out. Do you know who's not going to be there, though, who was scheduled to be there? And it's a chap called Michel Lemounier, who was um, due to speak. Michel Lemounier is the chairman um, and CEO, perhaps, of Tatler Asia. He's a Belgian chap who um, is relatively new in that role. And he essentially and his organisation were funding... Um, this into Miami jaunt to Hong Kong, part of their kind of global tour with Messi and others in tow. Um, Michelle Amunia has pulled out of speaking at this event because of the backlash um, to Messi's non-appearance at this Hong Kong game last week. Um, he didn't play because of an injury, which happens in sport. Uh, absolutely part of uh, what sport is all about yet honestly like the we're talking to our Chinese counterparts all the time for this event and not to say that these precise people are, are you know upset about it but the mood across China is um, you know it's almost mutinous like really this has rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way so Messi travels with into Miami who are doing a promotional tour of Asia Went on sort to of a hundred games in a hundred days. Went like on that. to a few days after this match he was due to play in, um, 
and Inter Miami did play against the Hong Kong eleven. Uh, Messi came off the bench in a match in Japan. Yes. But he was legitimately injured. And as you say, that happened. So it's on what basis was the agreement reached for Inter Miami to come to Hong Kong uh, to play um, play a game there? And was Messi's participation a prerequisite of that contract being signed because that's a very difficult thing possible thing for the club to guarantee totally and and we've seen this um this is not unique to china we've seen a version of this story play out with messi in major league soccer now in that there are opposition teams to inter miami who have months in advance moved games moved home games against inter miami to larger stadiums Mm -hmm in order to accommodate the tickets, uh, well, in order to sell more tickets because Messi is coming to play. And of course there is, and can never be, an absolute guarantee, particularly in a competitive environment, that any player will be available to play. Perhaps it's slightly different when you come, and, and you have to suspect that one of the only reasons that this tour is taking place in the first place is because Messi is a Miami player, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there seems to be, there's two sort of things with this, I think, this um, this messy no-show in, in Hong Kong and the fallout um, across China. First of all, there's this thing going on, which is, you know, monetizing Messi. Like a- anyone in, and everyone who's involved with Lionel Messi, at a, either at an international level, national level, an agent level, uh, is very much aware that um, he is going to finish soon and they're squeezing every last penny out of the Messi Roadshow, including Major League Soccer. And including Apple. Predilection for dynamic pricing um, at games. I mean, there, there are a lot of... Uh, I mean, I guess there are more people who want to see Messi at any cost than there are people who are upset that they feel like they're being priced out of games that they might ordinarily go to. The China thing, I mean, I, I would argue that for Michel Lemunier, the the Tatler Asia uh, boss, he's got he's got what he wanted anyway because. Um, Tatler, you know, the fashion brand, um, the goal would have been sort of putting Tatler Asia back on the map, putting Hong Kong back on the map, gathering together the great and the good, the glitz and the glam from around the region for a series of parties around the event, which did go on anyway. David Beckham, part owner of Inter Miami, travelled with the team. He was there at all the parties. He was booed. He was booed, exactly. So, But all the activity that goes on around a commercial tour went on. It's just the fan upset of having been charged uh, ticket prices to then not see Messi. But the bit I don't quite get is, okay, he doesn't play, a refund is offered, there's an angry reaction, there's a big kerfuffle, and then it seems there's a further escalation in the reaction because you have these two local football associations that are going to host Argentina-friendly matches, very lucrative matches, World Cup-winning Argentina, Messi... Is he still the captain? I think, but you know, he's yeah. certainly going to be uh, in and around the games. I don't quite understand why those would now be called off to reduce the chances even further of anybody seeing Messi playing in. China. I guess maybe a realization that you know you can't stipulate in a contract that a particular player plays, and they would have been probably verbally assured that he would play, and you know these two entities have seen. Um, 
what those assurances mean. Mm. Um, it, things work a little bit differently in China as well. This is these are both political organisations who will see which way the wind's blowing with you know a portion of the population and will make choices based on that. We had this um, also this situation in Saudi Arabia recently because I think um, as part of the Riyadh season, Inter Miami stopped off uh, for the what was. Uh, build as the final potential clash between Messi and Ronaldo, and I think yeah. I can't remember which one, but one of them didn't play in the end because yeah, they Messi were didn't. Messi didn't yeah. play. Ronaldo played for a matter of minutes. There's all sorts of interesting things going on here with these the rise of these sort of star-led clubs. Al Nasser, the the Saudi club that um, Ronaldo plays for were also scheduled to go to that southern bit of China and pulled out of their tour um, quite late on in the process. I don't exactly know why. There's interesting links going on between Saudi Arabia and China at the moment as well. Uh, so a fascinating field. And it's a little bit about fan culture as well in that we've seen, I think, in several areas this move towards um, being a fan of an individual player versus a team. Mm. Um, and there's a little bit of that playing through this as well. But it's also, yeah, fascinating story. It's also interesting there, and this leads us on to one of the other stories. So the, the you know, what you can and can't put in a contract to bring a, um, to bring a sports event to um, a non-traditional region for that sports event. So obviously this messy thing, um, that region of China, the Greater Bay Area, Macau, Hong Kong, Guangzhou, Zhuhai, there's lots of regional money and um, and private money now coming for major sports events, major sports teams to go over there. It's the first wave of kind of the Chinese um, re-emergence on the, on the global scene. Premier League teams, uh, they are attempting to attract a whole host of Premier League teams over there to play in friendly games. An NBA game mooted for Macau next year. Um, you know, the NFL have just done this deal in Madrid. Um, I wonder what Madrid needs. You know, what does what does a city who pays for the NFL to come? What do they require for that? You know, to be mission accomplished. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You have it's just reminded me of um, when the NBA um, over quite a few years played a game in London at the O2 Arena, and I remember going to one that uh, where the big story was Kobe Bryant was oh, yeah, didn't, did he play and he did he was injured mm. um but he did come on he sort of limped on towards the end of the fourth quarter and you know did his thing mm. and i've no idea whether that was a contractual situation or just a you know a team a league understanding that most people had paid their money for a glimpse of kobe bryant playing basketball mm. um but yeah, I think the Madrid situation is, um, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they've got sort of written in the, the contract. I think this is an interesting move, though, by the NFL. This was announced in uh, Vegas as part of Super Bowl week, the latest international market for um, for the NFL. And it strikes me that coming just a few weeks after the NFL announced that it will be playing a game next season in um, Brazil, in Sao Paulo, we're seeing a, a, an acceleration um, in the NFL's international um, we, we, ro- international strategy, international rollout. We yeah. we waited a long time. Obviously, the NFL has been get, playing 
games in London since 2007 now. It's a long, long time. Yeah. Um, we waited uh, quite a while for another European market to uh, to join the party. That was Germany just a few years ago. Now we've got Brazil and uh, Spain in quick succession. There's been a sort of on-off relationship with Mexico, uh, of course, which is a little bit closer to home. But um, yeah. well, I wonder if this is part. This is partly explained. This acceleration is partly explained by. The relatively recent rejig of its international office um, that the NFL did, um, bringing in um, Brett Gosper, um, the former CEO of World Rugby, and a man absolutely, um, well, he's he's got a lot of air miles under his belt, hasn't he? He's a a man who had been touring the world um, several times over in his previous job, probably more um, kind of city stakeholder relationships than his predecessor Alistair Kirkwood um, you, you also seen Peter O'Reilly at the league office kind of step up into a more prominent role he's the man who essentially announced this Madrid um, deal he's um, he's kind of stepped up to the lead strategist role um, and very smart chap by all accounts um, Henry Hodgson playing a, a you know um, a more prominent role in the UK office. The NFL's really sort of it's been staffing up on the international side for some time with people who have been there and done that, and maybe this is a, a result of that. And we mentioned the sports consultancy in the right, 180 yeah. seconds of sports biz. They're the they're bidding and hosting kind of experts. They, yeah, they've been around the block a few times, and um, they worked on the Brazil. Uh, market entry and they've worked on Spain as well I think also probably what we're seeing with the NFL internationally is they've allocated a load of uh, territories for certain teams who are invited to sort of bid for rights to market in those places and I would assume that the league is gaining a lot of information and understanding of those markets through what the teams are doing how they're approaching it what they're hearing from inside the market Um, Spain actually has two Uh, teams allocated to it the Miami Dolphins and the Chicago Bears this the league has confirmed that this game in Spain um, in uh, 2025 will feature an AFC team so the Miami Dolphins are very likely I think to be one of the teams playing Uh, but I know that the Chicago Bears have uh, been doing a lot of good work in that market as well uh, so yes, one to one to keep an eye on, and also, and we touched on this in the newsletter the other week. Uh, Madrid really um, making a case, I think, to be the capital of sport in Europe. Uh, F one race coming from twenty twenty six, street race, NFL twenty twenty five. They're very likely to host the World Cup final, men's World Cup final in twenty thirty, when Spain co hosts that tournament with uh, Portugal and Morocco. Um, so yeah, all eyes on Madrid, uh, I think, uh, over the next few years. And there has been some talk recently that they might throw their hat into the hat into the ring for a um, a twenty thirty six Olympic bid, having been um, uh, been there and lost uh, out on a couple of occasions over the past sort of couple of decades. Um, very influential IOC members from Spain as well. Um... Do you know how many NFL teams have international offices? Because obviously they've they've got this new system, as you mentioned, where the teams have been given particular territories to to commercialise. I suppose. Are you you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking. I don't know. I well, I know the Jacksonville Jaguars have a presence in London, yeah, um, and have done as one of the teams really. 
to have been a bit of a fixture here mm-hmm. um, and they were sort of one of the early movers I think almost the the prototype for the international marketing rights was was having the Jaguars. Well you famously thought that the Jaguars and their owner Shad Khan was going to buy Wembley Stadium. And I still owe you money for that. You do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. um, I don't know the answer, but you would imagine that as these territory rights are um, sort of activated and, you know, commercialised ultimately, you, you might see a bit more of a move in that direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm just noticing, um, <clears throat> I've noticed across the board there is a Maybe this is sort of, you know, COVID delayed thing, people coming back from COVID, but there seems to be more appetite from major rights holder organisations at the moment to be looking again at putting boots on the ground in particular places, opening offices, getting people in market to um, do all the things that you might want to do in market. I noticed the other day, for example, the Chicago Bulls have a new presence in London don't know if there are any other NBA teams who, um, you know, specifically have people here as well. Um, and it's happening the other way, of course. With is it? U- well, it has been over the last what? few years. European <laughs> European football teams uh, yep. setting up home uh, in the US, particularly on the East well, Coast. Decundra, for example. Indeed. Mm. Some, of the, uh, some of the Formula One teams now have uh, certainly commercial operations in the US. What is... Is it Paul Asensio? Yes. The Williams... Commercial chief, commercial chief, yeah. What's he doing in America? He's hunting dollars, mate. Has he got any? Uh, I think they're getting there. The car has just been launched. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of high hopes around Williams this year. Does it look fast, the car this year? Looks quick. It does look quick. Okay. Um, mention the NBA. Mm. Um, NBA's just done this um, big old deal with Emirates. Two of your favourite things here. Uh, basketball and business uh, class <laughs> basketball and business class so uh, yeah so I think this is a fantastic deal for both organisations so uh, we don't know on the money side of it but it's safe to say that um, Emirates doesn't do things by halves when it comes to um, major sponsorship deals um, so it's come in as the title sponsor of this new in-season tournament which the NBA uh, only debuted this year Um so a great vindication for um, a bit of innovation on the NBA's side there. Um, it's all singing, all dancing, title sponsorship. They've got branding here, there and everywhere. Re- They're first on a ever referees ref- patch. Referee yeah. patch, yeah. Which they, Emirates used to have in the Premier League as well. Um, yeah. I'm not convinced on the value of uh, branding a referee, but um, but there we go. Um, Boutros Boutros, who um, runs sponsorship at Emirates and has done for some time, um, he's kind of known for, um, well, really quite extraordinary negotiation tactics, actually. Um, if you speak to anyone who's uh, who has negotiated a deal with Boutros, they've got plenty of stories to tell. Always good fun. Um, he's a lovely man, Um and Alan has been in, in role for some time and I guess, you know, needs to liven his life up a bit. So uh, does it by spicing up um, contract negotiations. But he's he's known for, and Emirates are known for, sticking with their properties for some time. Um, so this is not going to be a flash in the pan for the NBA. Um, this is here for the long term. It's vindication of this mid-season tournament. And um, Boutros actually told me some time ago, uh, I think it's probably 2014 or 15, um, that the one major global sports property that he wished he could get his hands on um, from a sponsorship perspective was the NBA. 
And that was 10 years ago. And he says the reason that he wouldn't do it then was because there was no major branding opportunity. He couldn't couldn't put the name on the shirt, basically. It was at the time when um, the trend in sports marketing, or certainly in talking about sports marketing, was just always saying, it's not a badging exercise. (laughs) It's about, you know, it's not a sponsorship, it's a partnership. It's about loads more than just the logo. Um, And for Boutros, it was always about the logo, always about the branding. and, and, it, and he's got that now. And it's a nice, it feels like a nice, nicely packaged deal. The NBA is currently in market trying to put together its next um, media rights uh, deal. Yep. And a lot of suggestion. How's that going to work? Well, this? a lot of suggestion is that the, the NBA Cup, the in-season tournament, the Emirates NBA Cup, yeah. um, is going to be almost a, you know, a sold separately to the rest of the league, which does carve it out. And it's the kind of thing that maybe if you're a, if you're a streaming platform, maybe beginning with yeah. N, you might uh, you might take an interest in beginning with N, beginning with TBC, um, because what is this streaming platform that's just been, you know, th- these three powerful broadcast entities getting together, yes, um, to launch as yet unnamed streaming service coming later this year, Disney Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery. Did you read what the internal... Basically every major sports broadcaster apart from NBC. And CBS Paramount, yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, Around about, it is suggested, and I'd be interested to know exactly how they totted this up, around about 50% of all live sport that is available to watch in the US and around about 80 to 85% of what they call the top tier Mm. sports content available. So it includes... Big old chunk of NBA rights, big old chunk of MLB rights, some but not all NFL. Um, and this app, as you say, is uh, still without a name. They should it, just call it the bundle. They should just they, go full. Yeah, they should just you know do it for the um, do it for the lols. Do you know what the internal the code name apparently was? What Raptor? Surely not. I thought that was a joke. Well, it I, may have been a joke, but it was. Did I you read that in the John Aran's newsletter? I certainly read it as a you know as a serious. Uh, I was interested to hear that um, in the build up to the Super Bowl. Obviously, this news was announced in the build up to the Super Bowl, and you know where the great and the good and the less good um, were all gathered in Las Vegas um, for all these various um, parties and um, self-aggrandizing meetups. Um, <laughs> Spoken like a man who wasn't there. Yeah, NFI this year. Huh. Um, League executives uh, from across the major leagues genuinely flummoxed by this. And uh, actually more so in the NFL's case, apparently blindsided. Yeah. The NBA, as mentioned, is selling its media rights. I mean, there's, it's, I think it's unlikely, but it is not beyond the realms of possibility that uh, these three big separate media players uh, might in future... um, come together to bid on yeah. uh, reduced, certain properties which reduces competition, competition in the market and obviously there's a huge number of um, hurdles to get through both from a regulation standpoint from actually how is this going to work in terms of how it's marketed and put together who selects the leadership who selects the name frankly um, and experience uh, tells us that these kind of um, big media tie-ups don't always end well I think um, reading around this and sort of uh, trying to put together some thoughts on this, uh, there's a really interesting range of opinions being shared on this. And 
a question would be, I think a legitimate question would be, is this is this something like the last act of a desperate uh, media, of desperate media players sort of uh, dressed up as innovation? Are we, are we looking at something that is actually, um, you know, being touted via this press release as something new and shiny when in fact it's it's actually a desperate move to try and figure out a way to monetize sports content for the long term price point is going to be very interesting here so uh, this has to sit as a product this app in a in a quite a narrow sweet spot it's got to be popular enough that it um, has enough people you know buying it but not too popular because what they don't want to do is cut off the remaining cable suppliers or you know encourage them to opt out with a you know with a cheaper offer this is not the full sports package that people have sort of dreamt about um it's a sort of skinny bundle in that respect because of... there isn't CBS there isn't yeah. NBC but nonetheless it feels like there is you know there's a heft of content there that might be appealing to some at a you know at a lower price point and people have been talking about is it $30 a month could it be as much as $60 a month yeah media entities have got this conundrum and I, honestly with this move I do think it's sort of media one sport nil uh, at the moment um, but media entities have this conundrum of how to um, you know continue to milk the cash cow of the cable subscribers, the old school sports consumers who are usually sort of older generation now who know what they like, like what they want, happy to spend money on it, don't mess about with um, what they what they have. And new, gen well, younger generations of people who are kind of streaming natives who don't understand now the plethora of choice in front of them, want a bundle, but know that a cable package is a ripoff, uh, and this this sort of thing is, is catering to you know it's they have to work out how to market to different generations of people who are used to different types of technological consumption, and almost make sure that the older folks are on the higher rates sort of don't find out about <laughs> yes <laughs> how it works. Yeah. And if you look at the if you look at Disney as one third of the the parties involved here they're involved in this launch they're actually through espn chucking in most of the sports and sort of licensing most of its sports rights or all of its sports rights into this new platform mm. as the others are as well disney are still pushing ahead with their own plans to launch a proper full-blown new mm. espn streaming service which is supposed to come on stream in 2025 so it is yeah. going to be a very confusing picture and discovery yeah. small d is going to be the issue yeah i when i saw this my immediate thought was this is like something out of succession you know this is this is a big media move that looks like it was dreamed up by and you know signed off by the people at the very top rather than any of the ex executives doing strategy in the middle and it is people are getting played here and i wonder what the play is and when it's going to when it's going to come you can make a case in this for everybody being a winner and everybody being a loser i think and that's mm. leagues the individual organizations involved in this and think of the the three 
the three people right at the top who've mm-hmm. probably taken this decision, as you suggest. Uh, Lachlan Murdoch, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Iger, David Zaslav. Yeah. Big egos, big players. And I think there's a lot that could be quite easily untangled uh, in this before we ever see uh, it launch. Um, sh- here's a question that we were going to finish on for um, D Kundra of um, Bayern Munich. Hopefully we can get her on, um, perhaps even next week. But um, the question we were going to ask, David, is um, what are you reading, listening to, watching, etc.? What's your recommendation? Do you have a recommendation for this week? Yeah, I, do you know, I thought I had a recommendation for all three, actually. But I, I mean, I have listened to a lot, but I can't now immediately place what I was going to uh, recommend. Is it Enya? No, it's not Enya. Oh. Um, although it is World Radio Day as we record, interestingly. Wow, I mean, okay. Maybe not interesting. Shrove Tuesday is World Radio Day. Yes, mm. apparently so, this year at least. Mm. Um, I have been watching a sports documentary that I've quite enjoyed, despite it being quite formulaic. Uh, it's the NASCAR yes. uh, Full Speed. I'd like to get into that. Uh, Netflix series. Um, Libby Geist, I believe, is one of the uh, the key producers behind it. It is definitely formulaic and it's, you know, it's of its genre. Uh, But what I do like about it is you have all the sort of racetrack stuff and the driver storylines, but there's clearly been a level of access given by the drivers that I don't think you really see despite the snazzy production in something like Drive to Survive. And there's almost a little bit of... Uh, the sort of selling sunset million dollar listing vibe to it because you there's do a lot of house there's stuff, a lot of it? there's a lot of sort of lingering drone shots mm. on NASCAR driver houses and they're really quite nice mm. um, because they earn quite a lot of money uh, and there's a lot of uh, sort of family stuff in there but I would suggest you know really quite authentic family stuff uh, so yes well worth giving that a watch can I make a suggestion for you yeah. for your next bit of viral social content mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you like to bookend the year with your um, your A to Z um, trends on Twitter. Um, how about this year you work on the World Cup of Sports Docs? You know, that sort of that fad that occasionally comes around on Twitter yeah. where it's like the World Cup of Biscuits or something uh, and generates quite a lot of engagement. I think the World Cup of Sports Docs has got legs in it. And I think you're the guy to exec produce it. Do you think... I think that could be a lot of hard work. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll just do a countdown of my top 400. Shall I tell you what I've been um, impressed by? James, what have you been impressed by this week? Um, Well, it won't surprise you, but uh, short form content. Um, Have you seen the ATP's new skit, series of skits, sort of a bit of creative, bit of marketing? Yes, I have. Fabulous, isn't it? It really is clever. Uh, Well, beautifully done. Yes, and and it's almost sort of... um, you know, gently, gently mocking this era of sports documentaries that we're in. The ATP, obviously, is part of a, a fairly uh, well-known documentary on Netflix. But this new bit of con- bit of social content, I imagine it's part of a series, um, has the ATP prominent players uh, basically pretending that they are in a that they're acting that the ATP Tour Tennis is essentially a um, a charade, a show, and they all have to learn lines and they get their scripts, etc. It's very, very funny. Um, what surprised me about it um, is that the players, the talent, 
it, it comes across really well. The acting is excellent. Mm. Doesn't surprise me that sort of you know Andy Murray's good. Uh, Djokovic is fantastic. In fact, every all of the players are excellent in their roles, and that is something that is um, historically, famously, very difficult to do to get uh, you know athletic talent to act. Um, but it's really great. Um, I do recommend uh, people checking that out if you've not seen it. There is, um, there's a, it's, it's, it's sort of redolent of the European tours output of recent years. They did that kind of European tour access all areas. Um, they did several players meetings. Players meetings, yeah. basically comic videos, which had the players kind of making fun of themselves, um, acting out various um, bits and pieces. Um, there are a couple of folks who link these two just, be- just before that, do you think that the players have been trained? What do you mean, to act? Yeah. I imagine that... Acting they're, I coaches imagine they're, I imagine they're coached. Yeah, yeah, I imagine they're coached. I don't know. It's funny, the European Tour stuff's been going on for some time and it's quite interesting hearing people talk about, you know, the golfers, how, mm, how it was relatively tricky to get them on board with it early on but once they see the success of the videos Mm. they're all sort of you know they're all gagging to be involved basically um i guess the european tour has been a bit of a pioneer and all these tennis stars ready and waiting to get involved in this but shout out to a couple of folks who are involved in in both of these productions um tom greaves and ollie silverton i'm sure there are plenty more um but tom greaves is the creative director at atp media um and he used to work at um img uh, slash european tour productions he was running original and branded content for golf and what do came, you know yeah and ollie silverton working closely with him um you know the ideas men uh, behind this the producers of both of these things they're bringing the comic into sport and absolutely should be applauded these are bold ideas and it's very difficult to get bold ideas actually done in sport ollie silverton incidentally is the man who won the um competition that sport business did years and years and years ago to essentially do a year um, of amazing hospitality experiences. Yeah, that was a good prize. I, rem- I remember thinking at the time that's prize. a good prize, and yeah. I, I still do. He's living a gilded life. Um, yes. Anyway, should we um, draw a line under it there? Let's do that. See you next week. See you then.